and it's almost like I think Schwab is like jabbing at the fantasy community with Faze because he says no (laughs) I have no Faye thing here to trap you with food and drink that's her dig at Sarah J Mass I was (laughs) like oh that hurt a little bit Welcome to the Novel Universe with Ashley and Dawn, book club buddies who love to read YA fiction. We'll discuss the good, the bad, the ugly, and oh my gosh, we need to talk about this right now. I'm Ashley, the fantasy architect. And I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. So grab something sweet or salty and join our universe. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Novel Universe with your hostesses, Ashley and Dawn. And today we are doing our second read along with the universe, which is just our fancy way of saying a book club. That's all it is, where we spend a couple of weeks breaking up a book and having a deeper discussion. And this read along with the universe is where's my book? Where's my book? I lost my book. I legit Don never has a book ready. It's a dark book and I couldn't find it. <laughs> the universe of Addie LaRue by V. Schwab. And today we're going to be discussing pages one through 159. This is all spoilers. We are spoiling all of it. So if you have not read it yet, stop listening now. Read at least up to page 159 and come back and listen. Or if you read the whole thing, you can stay too. You're welcome too. And other than that, you've had your warning. So let's get started. All right. So we're going to go chapter by chapter and we're going to discuss themes and important moments. And all right, let's get started. Hopefully my microphone didn't jack up. Okay, so. You're probably going to hear a lot of page flipping in the microphone. Sorry. Sorry, guys. This is what I read along is. Yeah. Did you (laughs) want to actually care about? It's okay. (laughs) Did you want to talk about that quote from Estelle or? Um, yeah, so in the first page that we're given, it's set in July 29th, uh, 1714, and you're given this vision of this girl basically running for her life um, and just hearing her name repeatedly over the wind. Um, and then what we see is um, her shadow stretches out ahead too long, its edges already blurring, and a small white flowers tumble from her hair, littering the ground like stars, a constellation left in her wake, almost like the one across her cheeks. Seven freckles, one for every love she'd have. That's what Estelle had said when the girl was still young. One for every life she'll lead, one for every god watching over her. So, first response moments. I was like, so is she going to have seven lives? <laughs> like, does that, like, tell tale, like, how, um, like, how her story is going to be broken up? Like, she's going to lead us through seven different lives. Okay. Uh, that was my first moment where I was like, interesting. I'm liking this part. <laughs> I, I... So, okay, so disclaimer, Dawn has read the book already. I read it back in June, and I will not be giving spoilers. I'll be very careful to not do that. But I didn't think that the first time I read it, or the second time. Okay. I took it as one for every love she'd have, as just, like, um, oh, I see what you're saying, one for every life she'd lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Even the second time, I didn't catch that. I, I kind of focused on the love part. So I was wondering okay. if that's a foreshadow as to how many loves she's going to have. And I'm going to try and start to count. That's not a spoiler because I didn't really pay attention the first time. But I'm going to start to count to see if there are seven loves. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe. Um, I have two so far. I feel like we've read about two so far. E- yes. I think so. Yeah, I have two. I don't know if it's the same two you have, but I do have two. Okay. (laughs) So um, we're met with in the first actual chapter. It's now present day, March 10th, 2014. Um, And the first part that I have is that 
she changes her name constantly, and I had no idea why. This is the first chapter. I'm like, why does she have to have a different identity? What's going on here? <laughs> um, and you learn exactly why. Okay, kind of going back, there is on the opposite page, there is a piece of art painted, or I think it's a sculpture. Arlo Mire, probably. It's not a real person, but um, these are important just to see her loneliness and it's kind of heartbreaking especially when she's like following this guy around and then she is so desperate that she changes her name to something that he loves just just in case and you really Mm -hmm. just feel the loneliness that this girl has and it's so sad it's just so sad Yeah. Especially reading about what happens after. So we learn that Addie is a forgettable human being. Like she's easily forgotten and we don't know why, you know, and she talks about the lead up to like saying goodbye where she like says her own like private goodbye to the person that she's had an interaction with, whether it's, you know, sexually, emotionally, how, however you want to say it. And then the moment that there's a recognition that they don't remember her anymore. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I in that moment, I don't know how I would be able to handle that. Mm -hmm. Every time time. you are a forgettable human being, people don't remember you within minutes. Don't remember you. And I, how do you have to, like, <laughs> say goodbye or not be freaked out about it or not take it to heart? <laughs> yeah. One thing is interesting is that she's she's been living this for 300 years. And she's still lonely. She And she still is struggling with the they don't remember me. It's been 300 years. You would think by now... She would either be whatever or she would figure it out or something. And I think in a normal book, the main character would be down on their luck. And then, you know, they go through the seven stages of grief. And then by 300 years, she would be at acceptance. In a normal book, that's what it would be. That that character would have grown by, mm-hmm. you know, this is technically the end of the book. They would be grown. They, you know, their their character has come full arc. But no, we're 300 years later and she's still struggling. And I think it's, you know, it's different. And I it's honest. You're, you know, mm-hmm. 300 years and you're still not, you still don't got it together. <laughs> Once again, yeah, that's so I, sad. Like, I really felt for her, man. I was like, oh, that is awful. <laughs> like, and as we keep reading, you're like, it's still happening. It's still happening. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I can't do it. <laughs> I was, like, cringing for her in those moments. Yep. Um, That's all I had. Me too. So then in Chapter 3, we're brought uh, back for the first time to Villon, Sir Sarith France. Is that how you say that? Sarith France? I just said Villon. I wasn't... Villon? Yeah. Villon? Villon France? <laughs> Summer of 19... Uh, or, sorry, of 1698. Um... And this part to me was really uh, interesting because we get an idea as to like, okay, so Addie obviously is not from this century. (laughs) She's old. Why is she old? You know, and we get into the fact that like, um, you know, she's leaving town for the first time and what that moment like feels like to a little kid that's grown up in such a small village where it's like, you know, everybody's business. Everybody does things for everyone. And we are brought to that part, you know, where her uh, her dad has made her this wooden ring that one day will become her her wedding band that she like has mm-hmm. around her neck, which I thought was really sweet. Yeah, because you know, you learn that she was a loved character by her father, at least in this moment. What I got out of this chapter is some of Schwab's writing style, and one thing that she's really great at in this book in particular is that she manages to capture a person in very few words so her Mm -hmm. father the way she writes about her father is at home he is a quiet man committed to his work but on the road he begins to open to unfold to speak Mm -hmm. um so you kind of see the kind of man he is and he's 
he's very reserved around her mother he's like afraid of her mother and he does whatever her mother says but when it's just him and Addie he loves her like you said he loves her more than anything um and there are several other characters at LaRue that Schwab does this with and as someone who reads a lot of books there are many authors who cannot do that. I have read, you know, and I'm sure you have to, a 500-page book, and I still don't know anything about the character. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they want. But she manages to do that with minor characters in a sentence. That's talent. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And he doesn't even say anything. Nothing. Nothing. That That is what is so mind-boggling is because it's it's yet again, like, there <laughs> there are good authors out there who can actually write a good character, and they don't need to give you a monologue about what they like, what they don't like, and who they are as a person. You know, you, you, you get all that in a sentence. You're like, oh. So he's obviously someone who works with his hands. He's obviously someone that doesn't like to be around other people. He comes alive when he's in his own element. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Good to know. Moving on. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we do get a little bit, like you said, a little bit more of Addie where she doesn't, she desires, she really wants to live. She doesn't want to be somebody's wife. And so it's, I think that's important for the reader to really feel her anguish of you know her life at this moment and what she is forced to be and what she doesn't want to be in order for her to accidentally make a deal with the night god it's like you have to set that up because you know if I'm to believe that she's just going to like accidentally make this deal I need to know why and she's desperate she needs to she needs to live and she wants to get out of this this poor well it's not a horrible life but it's boring it's a boring life and she doesn't want it and she shouldn't have to and she actually makes a deal with the night god and in this chapter going and this is one of the good things about a non-linear plot is that one thing i kind of picked up on up to this up to this point even up to page 159 is that she has never been a happy person she was back in 68 (laughs) She wasn't a happy person, or 98, sorry. She wasn't happy then. As we see her progress back and forth, she's never happy. 300 years, this girl has never been happy. Once again, oh my God, it's so sad. It's so sad. You know, but like, I feel like, like you're saying, though, in five, it takes Schwab five pages to depict the lifestyle that she has been brought up in. The same old, same old. She gets a chance of going out into the railroad. And I like instantly think of like Beauty and the Beast when Belle finally gets out of town. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's the same exact feelings. Like she finally gets to see the world for the first time, gets to take a deep breath and like to realize that this is just hours down the road. And she isn't experiencing this. Why would she be then content to go back to her normal, boring life? where she's only been told that she is going to marry and breed children. Yeah. And become, you know, just this haggard old mom, actually not old mom, but old feeling mom, you know? Well, we know what her life is going to be through Isabel. It's basically, it's, it would be Isabel. We don't have, we don't have to guess what her life is going to be. We can see it. That's all I had. Me too. So what is this? Chapter four? I haven't done Roman numeral numbers in so long. I'm yeah. like <laughs> counting them. <laughs> I um, so this is what? Chapter four, a few years later. Um, she's now 12 years old. And we learn about Estelle. Um, who is, I literally wrote down the old hag of the village. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have anything for four? The only thing that I noted was that she talks about how she's drawn everything in her town she's literally outgrown her town there's nothing left for her she's drawn everything and I thought that was a really great metaphor how Mm -hmm. she's outgrown it it's minor but I thought it was a nice moment that's all true it's committed that much to memory you can draw it out yeah (laughs) 
So then moving on to chapter five, still, this is now a few years later. Daddy is now 16. Um, This is where we learn about her creating this mystery uh, stranger in her mind with the parts of men that she's admired from her town, you know, and now it's an imagination that she has now made real. Um, which I thought was interesting because it goes through all the guys that have like vied for her hand. She's like, "Mm, no, but they did have a nice smile or they had nice hands or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, she takes bits and pieces. And so when I think about it now, like that's what artists do. They take bits Mm -hmm. and pieces of things that they love or think are beautiful and they make it into something else. Good point. So Literally, just dawn at me here. I'm like, well, that's what an artist does. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's all I had for chapter five. Um, what I have for chapter five is there's a moment where she's having this fake conversation with this man that she's drawn, and she says oh, yeah. that she doesn't want to imagine it too. She doesn't. She doesn't want to basically lie. Like she doesn't want to even have an imagination because it would be too painful. Once again, God, this is so sad. Like she does, she can't even allow herself to imagine anything because it's just going to be shattered and it's not, it's never going to come true. So why even bother? It's just like, she's just, Schwab is just building this sad girl. Very, <laughs> Very sad, sad girl. girl. <laughs> I also thought that um, for someone who like currently who feels stuck, it's I think Addie is very cathartic for them or for someone who has never felt stuck they are kind of able to sympathize with her so and this girl is stuck so if anyone out there who's ever felt stuck you 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 feel it through her and if you've Mm -hmm. never been stuck before you feel it through her I think Schwab does a really good job of writing this character who is literally stuck Mm-hmm. No, option. and she's believable too. That's that's what's so amazing yeah. is that she's a believable character in her emotions. Like those are true emotions to have. Those yeah. are true things to dream about. You know, and even in the last page of that chapter, you know, we hear uh, the three people that are in her life: her mother, her father, and Estelle. Her mother is uh, scorning that she's a dreamer. Her dad is mourning that she's a dreamer, and Estelle is warning that she's a dreamer. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, those are three different POVs. Yeah. Of her. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, it's just, it's so sad. It's so sad. Like, oh, it's so sad. Oh my goodness. And how many, how many times have we read about the princess who's going to be betrothed and she runs away? It's like, we've read that story so many times, but Schwab manages to make a new character that we haven't read yet. And that, that's mm-hmm. what I like. That's what makes me like a book a lot is when I have not read this character before, even though I have. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Okay. So chapter, what is this? Six? Six. I'm telling you, it has been really late since I've done (laughs) numerals. Sorry, guys. Um, So now we're back to present day, um, which is same date, March 10th, 2014. We will live in this date for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, We learned that she's been alive for 300 years that she can't die or grow cold and she can't live without her father's art. Um, and when I say that she can't live without seeing the art to her, it helps her feel like marks have been left on people's lives. And so like we learn that, you know, she, well, I can say because it, it doesn't matter if it's a spoiler or not, because this is spoiling, guys, because she takes her father's one of his canary birds that he has whittled out with her when this episode does happen. And so when she loses that piece of him, it's just so heartbreaking because then it goes into like, you know, she'll basically go mad without stories or wonder or beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, okay, if you just read the last 35 pages, you understand that she craves that. She craves adventure. She craves seeing the world in a different light that she hasn't seen, you know. Um, Stories are a way to preserve oneself is what this chapter basically, like, sums it all up in. And you're like, oh, well, duh. That's why 
she yearned for her father's stories on the road is because it's it's preserving a moment. It's preserving a time that you have. Mm-hmm. And what did I have? Oh, yeah, on page 35, we have books are a way to live a thousand lives or to find strength in a very long one. I'm like, oh. You know that moment when you open up your Kindle or your Nook or whatever or Goodreads and it has a quote? I'm like, there's there's a new one, guys. Just right there. <laughs> V.E. Schwab. Oh, there are tons. There are tons in this book. Tons of quotes. I was just like, oh. And then, like, even in that quote, it's so sad because it speaks so true to her. Yeah. It really, I'm not, I'm not laughing because it's funny. Laughing, how sad it is. Okay. Um, the only thing I took from this chapter is once again bringing up the the non-linear plot, which I, I, I like a non-linear plot. I actually prefer one because it's a way to give the reader crumbs and not. It's it's a great way of not info dumping. And one thing that keeps popping up is this ring. And we know that her father gave her the ring. We know that she loved it, but now she hates it because she's throwing it away. Why? Why does she hate this ring that her father gave her? And Mm -hmm. we don't know why yet. So we got to wait and find out. And it's just like, yeah, find out why. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. all I had. Okay. Same. Um, Moving on, it's chapter... Well, we learn that the darkness is always with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then we... Ha- Do you have anything else in that one? No. Okay. So then chapter eight. We flash back now to this July 29th, but it's now 1714. And we learn that she's supposed to marry Roger. The only thing I had was this was look more information on the ring. So she gave up her ring. Yeah, that was the last part that I have. Yeah. Is she offers up the only thing she's ever loved to pray at that moment. What's again, it's sad. Oh, God. This is sad. Because she's been giving things to the river gods for a while here. Wasn't good enough. It's not good enough, you know, and they're not answering. And then you you see that she's also prayed to not just the old gods. She's also prayed to what some would call, you know, the the Catholic God or the Christian God or however you want to phrase it. They, you know, bring in two separate types of entities there. But no one's answering at this point. Mm-hmm. And then still the same date. This is when all hail breaks loose, if you will. So this, uh, you know, this is when we're basically brought face to face with her strangers. This guy that she has created in her own imagination somehow comes out of nowhere. Um, She wants to be free to decide only for herself, I thought was like a good point there. And then the stranger basically tells her no not going to do that it's not good enough not good enough reason um and then he literally you know says like he is the darkness between stars and the roots beneath the earth i uh am promise and potential when it comes to playing games i divine the rules i bet the pieces i choose when to play and tonight i say no i'm like oh my lord and she still decides to give him everything. She's desperate. Because she is so desperate. Because he even, like, tells her, like, what do you want? You know, and when she's like, well, this is what I want. He's like, that, that's not a good enough reason. And then it makes me think, even for her, like, is that a good reason to throw everything away? Like, to just, you know, throw it off into the breeze. Whatever. No consequence. <laughs> Yeah, and she basically just says, uh, you know, you want an ending, then take my life when I'm done with it, and you can have my soul when I don't want it anymore. And that line right there, you're like, well, that has a whole bunch of loopholes. <laughs> well, she's not thinking about loopholes at this moment. No, I literally wrote down, OMG, she gave him her life. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what? 
Oh, and then I wrote in even my more advanced notes here. OMG people, always be specific with what you pray for. Do not be vague, ever. In all the books that I have read, you need to be specific (laughs) in what you are asking for. Yeah. Vagueness is not an option. So when, when, and he even asked her again, like, what is it you actually want? So he doesn't just say, no, I don't want to do it. And then she goes, well, just, just take my life or whatever. And he says, okay, done. He probes her to like actually get her to really think about what's happening here because he likes games. He's a God who likes to play games. And then we're at what, chapter 10, still same day, July 29th, everybody. I just wrote down that, you know, everybody no longer knows who she is. They all think her a crazy person. Okay, so chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wrote down some things about, you know, Addie. We learn that she loves movies the best. Attraction can look an awful lot like recognition in the wrong light. I thought was a really profound statement from Addie. Um, and then on page 56, we have the rise isn't worth the fall. Which is her basically for the first time since we've been reading about her basically saying no to a distraction for the evening. Yeah. Which I thought was a big moment for her because you see how much she's struggling to not have that. (laughs) Yeah. Chapter 11, still same date. We're back in present time. I forgot to say before. Chapter 12. (laughs) We basically learn that, you know, she's tried to hold on to things over the years, but they always seem to disappear. Except for the ring, which I find interesting. And I want to know why. Well, at the top of page 59, and every time her fingers skim the wood, she feels the darkness kissing her knuckle as he slides slides the band back on. Which kind of sounds like a proposal, like a marriage proposal. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why she hates the ring, because he's tainted it. Just a guess. Oh yeah, I don't know. Because I had wrote down, were they together? <laughs> Is he using it to like taunt her in a way? Because mm-hmm. we don't know all of their interactions at this point in time. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, obviously he's he's using it in a negative way against her because she no longer loves it and wants to keep getting rid of it. So that part I'm not entirely sure why. Well, I'm not that, that's say. all I have. You know, the inability, inability to leave a mark is another point. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Okay. Okay. For some reason, I didn't see Roman numerals. I didn't even see the chapters were, like, numbered. So now I have it by date, and I'm like, what? Oh, and the date is all the same for, like, multiple pages? Yeah, so I'm, like, getting myself confused. If I had just written down the Roman numerals, it would have been helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to chapter 14. This part, okay, in particular, so this is where we learn, you know, Adeline decides to change her name. And I find that that's interesting because when someone chooses to change their name, it's because of something that's happened to them, right? They want to move on from that old identity and create a new identity for themselves. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, she's still, you know, it's the day after being changed um, to not be remembered anymore she's basically sold herself halfway dead but not really yet um so people don't remember her and she decides to call herself Addie because Estelle gave her that gift of calling her that name and in that moment I I have a hard time with that because 
I don't see anything else beneficial that Estelle has done for Addie other than provide an outlet for her imagination and wanting to live like her world through Estelle. Yeah. So I have a, I have a hard time with that because I'm like she hasn't done anything but talk to you about the old gods. That's a good point. You know, so it's like I don't Yeah, I literally wrote why does she give Estelle all this credit? She feels very wispish to me. Seems foolish, you know, not to be angry with Estelle for making her choose a side of the gods these were just all little parts where i was like you know should she be angry with estelle for that would she harbor any grudge toward her no she warned her would it be her fault you know these like i said these are little things i think about yeah i don't have anything else on this chapter my notes are kind of like i said i didn't put dates or I didn't put chapter heading. So I did have something to say about the bird. This is a pretty obvious metaphor. The bird is a pretty obvious metaphor for Addie herself. Because um, she takes the one that's in flight. So meaning she's in flight. She's taking the one that's in flight. And then when the wing breaks and it mends itself, it's it's her journey. So she gets broken and then she mends herself and then she picks herself back up. And she's like, no, I'm going to do this. And then something happens and she breaks again and then she picks herself up and she mends herself. And so I think like, I mean, it's a pretty obvious metaphor, but I still feel like I should mention it. Just... Yeah, because I definitely <laughs> felt sad when the bird left our uh, vicinity. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. So, right. okay, so then we're on chapter 15. Let me go back to my page. Sorry, guys, that was a momentary backtracking yeah so this now we're brought back to present day march 11 2014 so on page 77 um she states that she feels like a museum sometimes because only she can visit and i was like that's just the saddest thing i've ever heard in my life (laughs) you know and then we hear about the birds the revenir um sculpture comes back and we see it and it's by some unknown artist called Arlo Muret mm-hmm. you know and the reason why this moment was important is because she found it it was something that she stumbled upon that no one told her about she has no uh, memory of it or anything like that it's a bunch of years later that she finds this sculpture and of course it's birds so it reminds her of her father's like sculpture of a bird that she had but it's important to her because it made a good memory for her and it's art so art always has a way of recycling itself back into your life it doesn't ever go away mm-hmm. so I thought that that was a really key moment because it's something that you know, the, the word Revnir means to come back. And that's literally what's happening to her. She's always coming back around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn, because now we're back in France, it's a few days after the fact of, you know, her gaining her freedom, if you will. Mm-hmm. The darkness has granted her freedom from death, but not from suffering. But she's not dwindling away into nothing, which I find very interesting because she's still feeling the pangs of hunger, of being hurt, of being cold, of being hot. But she still has maintained her shape. Yeah. (laughs) So then page 85 is my next moment. We are now brought back to present day. It is chapter 17. The darkness has told her to come live with her or come live with him and be his love. And she replies, you don't know what love is. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're still pining for this. Like, this is still a thing because we like now are seeing this 300 year stretch (laughs) 
between her and the darkness, and he's still pining after her. Mm-hmm. And she's still like, no, I am not ready yet. But is he pining after her? Is he lying to her? He's mm-hmm. he's a trickster. We can't trust him. Or is he truly in love with her? Mm-hmm. Don't know. No, I, I think he's trying to, in this moment soothe her desires you know he's made her life miserable miserable on purpose so she just says just end it it's not worth it i don't want this anymore because that's what he wants he wants her soul that's Mm -hmm. what he's been gifted with this transaction he's he gained something Mm -hmm. um so you know her fighting back is just like oh she's still got some you know spite left back in her and it's been a very long time Um, this is where we, we are introduced for the first time to Henry Stouse. Yeah. Um, and then we're brought into part two, the darkest part of the night. And you have another painting by Samantha Benning, where she's left another mark. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to her. Oh my gosh, I just realized that name right now. And it's Sam. <laughs> Oh, you said for everybody reading, <laughs> pay attention to the artist's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got that. So I was like, where does a freaking painting come from? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, that just, uh, you know, that was a mind, a mind boggler right there. Anywho. <laughs> so we basically learn more about Henry, that he works at the last word. There's a cat name book, which is kind of cute. I wish I had a cat name book. Not Um, very original, but that's fine. Um, You know, we learn about a lot about like Henry's story, just a little bit. Before you go too deep into his story, because this chapter has lots in it. Um, It does. On page page 92, I marked it where it says Henry would rather be a story keeper than a storyteller. But Addie likes storytellers because her father was a storyteller. So not quite sure the significance of that, but he's a story keeper. He's not a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Got any thoughts on that? On what that means? Um, well, someone who's a story keeper has either wrote the story or has been gifted the story to tell. Okay. Well, right. he's not going to tell it, though, because he doesn't tell stories. He keeps them. It just stood out. I don't know why. We can keep going. You do know why, because you've read it. I don't I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it has something to do with, you know, obviously it has a connection somewhere, because yeah. he's the first other character that we're given in the story, and he has his own chapter. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like... Oh, okay, he is important. Moving on. So they go to see the play, you know, The Midnight Summer's Dream. Um, his friend Robbie, yeah. the Bowery King. I wrote it down because I don't know if it's important or not. I looked up the Bowery King, but for some dumbass reason, I didn't look up Midsummer Night's Dream and the oh. significance of the freaking play. I don't know why I didn't do that. Okay, well, I'm going to look it up right now, and you tell me if you have any other moments. Yeah, I do. Um, So that whole page is just, like, full of information where he um, uh, he said this is the story of the gods, and then the he says for a while the world falls away and everything quiets around him and Henry disappears. And mm-hmm. I don't know why he disappears, because at some point uh, when his friend, like, um, the water falls over his friend and all traces of magic turning him from a languid arrogant prince to a boy more mortal vulnerable alone that really got to Henry for some reason um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because that's how he feels when the magic wears off and we can talk about Henry's magic in a second when we get to it um, I'm pretty sure you have theories but yeah so that seemed to connect with him strongly did you find it yet or you want me to keep talking no because it's not showing it like even like in this stream of characters on wikipedia 
Well, what happens in A Midsummer Night's Dream? I'm sorry, I'm an English major. I probably should know this. I did read it, but I don't remember what happens. Um, it's a whole, it's a whole big long thing. Okay. Well, it's probably significant. I'm pretty sure she chose that play for a reason. Mm-hmm. And we aren't talking about it because neither one of us looked at it. Sorry, sorry. I'm not member. English major. <laughs> we are good. I can look it up if you want to talk. So there's like a love triangle thing happening. Okay. But um, in this moment here, we learn that here Henry has a scar on his palm. It is on page. Because I wrote it down for you, Don. It's on page 95 when the scar is mentioned. Because it's after it talks about um, when the lights go out and for the long moment, the only sound in the theater is the rain fading from a solid wall to a steady rhythm of a downpour. And then it echoes basically into nothing. Yeah. You know, and then you see his hand is throbbing and when he looks down, his he's dug his nails into the scar along his palm. Okay. And so I'm like drawing fresh blood, okay? Which is significant because it means there's already a scar there. Yeah. Miss so that. why? Okay. You know, because then it goes into him talking about the storm like coming over him. Mhm. And so when you and I were talking about this briefly, which usually we don't discuss the book before we podcast about it but because this is a read-along we kind of have to (laughs) to figure out some stuff um so john and i had kind of jumbled around the idea that like the storms signify you know do they signify depression or for me i thought it was like a fiction versus a reality moment like is was he a part of this darkness cycle before and he's able to now come back out of it, or does he revisit it at moments and then comes back out of it? To me, I thought it was a deeper issue than just depression. I think it's just depression. But it's written so well, likely, that it it could very well be just depression in and of itself. Because when I was talking to um, someone else about it, they are like, yeah, why are you just, like, nailing it on the head there? That's, like, depression. Like, oh, okay, well, yeah, kudos to you, V.E. Schwab, for writing you know something that is relatable to people. And um, she may have, she might suffer from depression, that might be where that comes maybe. from, maybe, maybe, yeah. And then, because at the end of this one, you know, he's uh trying to, you know, not be persuaded to you know hanging out with a lady friend and whatever and you know she asks him what is it that you want and he doesn't say it to her but he says that he wants the truth but there's no truth for him not anymore i'm like well what does that mean where where are you at it's on page 97 so you're talking about the the girl who comes up to him who flirts with him mm-hmm because before that, you know, we learn that Henry has had, like, those dark times before, and they believed that they would pass if he could just simply hold on long enough to reality. Yeah. You know? Um, and then it goes into, like, you know, his situation with his parents and his brother and his sister. You know, they all tell him to cheer up, it'll get better. And the doctor will understand, but he doesn't understand, you know. And then his sister's giving him a pill to help him. Yeah. Um, Um, Okay. So as we keep going, and this is is the first time I read the book, what it seems to be happening here, and it's not at, at this chapter yet, but Henry, but as you keep reading, you notice that people, like, seem to be drawn to Henry. And he's, like, oblivious to it. He ignores it. But, like, at one point, Addie is like, that's odd. Why is this person, like, why are these people, like, looking at him? And it seems like this girl is drawn to Henry. And he's like, are you sure that you want to do this? Because I don't want to take advantage of you. I think that Henry, something's going on with him where 
like people are just they just fall in love with him when they see him there was a girl at the bookstore she's like trying to get his phone number um the man who like bumps him he's like oh my god oh my god let me help you he's like no it's fine like people are just like drawn to him and i think that's what this is yeah i think that's all this is i don't think there's more to it than that yeah which obviously in that retrospect would just give you the idea that it's like oh well maybe he has some sort of power and he doesn't want it yeah i think that's what that is or doesn't know how to use it you know but even reading that like just again like that to me signifies the theme of depression that's not a gift of a power per se until you get to the bottom where he's like are you sure you want to do that you know and then at the end of it it's you know he said it's um and for a while he disappears so yeah I don't, I don't know. know what that means these are just things i wrote down Very cryptic um real quick midsummer night's dream the one thing that i got out of it is it says it's a forest inhabited by fairies who manipulate the humans so I think that's the key thing. Somebody's manipulating humans. So I think we have the darkness manipulating Addie. And is he going to manipulate her relationship with Henry? Mm-hmm. I think that might be the key to that play and the significance of. Yeah, because book. there's definitely the proposal of like, so-and-so is supposed to be marrying this person and they don't want to marry that person. They want to marry someone else. And it could be a love triangle. Like, it's clearly that she's being, that she is going to love Henry because he's the only one who can remember her. And then we have the darkness we just talked about. Does he really love her or is he lying to her? So it could be a love triangle. Like you said, this is a love triangle story, Midsummer Night's Dream. So it could, mm-hmm. it could be that too. All right, so chapter two, which is present day... The only All I thing, had was Sam's apartment. Yeah. The only thing is that she's reading the Odyssey. Once again, the Odyssey is an adventure about heartbreak and victories. Like I read I read the Odyssey in freshman year. Of, I don't remember anything, but I do remember it was like a journey, like a big like journey. I remember the sirens and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's no accident that she's reading the Odyssey. That's all. In Greek. In Greek. <laughs> Yeah, and then I wrote down, you know, Sam being significant. And then the next chapter, we it's chapter three. It's August 9th. And it's just, it's so sad because she gets mistaken as a dead body. Yeah. And they put her in a cart. And she's like, in this cart of dead bodies. <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> I took that as a moment of rebirth. Like, this is where she died, and now she is back again. And now she's going to thrive, whatever that means in this girl's world, because it's all been sad. But whatever thriving means after this moment of rebirth, she's. this is when it happens. That's what I took that for. Yeah, and then I also, um, you know, because I... This is when she loses her virginity as well. This is such a big moment for her, um, just in her development as a character, because then we see if a, a shadow back of her, you know, on her church steps, um, the heavy grind of a bolt sliding home, and somewhere in Addie's mind, Estelle begins to cackle. You see, she says in her rasping voice, only new gods have locks, which I found interesting, because then she's stating that you know, is the new God of the, of the church, not an old God then she's like doing a play here on, you know, are we talking about like Greek mythology? Yeah. I think it's more like the old gods are the, you know, Zeus and the Greek mythology the true God. and the new gods are what you were saying, the Catholic God, the Christian God, and that the Christian God mm-hmm. has basically shut his door to you. Which mm-hmm. is, you know, V. Schwab is saying a lot right there. That's mm-hmm. huge. It's a huge statement she's making. Yeah. It's 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 huge. But like that yeah. was one of the things that I wrote down. I was like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, you know? And then we have her being, you know, de- 
depicted as being dead. And now she can't find the wooden bird because she was clutching onto it and she can't find it anymore because it's buried under all these bodies. You know, and it's written, you know, the last part of her life carried away with the dead. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And then she writes, you know, now that that is gone, there is a guilty gladness tucked among the grief, which I thought was so prof- profound. You know, when someone has actually moved on from grief, you know, what does that look like? I feel so. like she has, she goes through several cycles of grief in this oh, book. Yeah. Because we're going to see it again in a couple chapters. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. In chapter four, it's now a year later, the same day that she died and was reborn, which I think is what they've stated before, July 29th. We basically learn that, you know, she doesn't ever lose the concept of time and she can't be the hand that gives destruction. Uh, The darkness comes. We still don't know his name at this point. You do. You told me it before I read it. Well, it's not a big deal. It wasn't a big spoiler. It's cool. cool. Luke. (laughs) Luke or Lucian or Lucifer. She can't decide. So Luke it is. The only other thing I wrote was because earlier in the podcast, I said that Schwab is really good at describing a character in a very short amount of time. And I think my favorite line in the book is Muriel. And she's described as Muriel has always been a strong, wait, Muriel's always been like strong perfume, better in small doses and at a distance. And, you know, immediately the type of person Muriel is we met her for a page and we know exactly who she is. So yeah. that line really, that stuck out to me. Even the first time I read this book, I was like, wow, that's great. <laughs> I don't know why. Just keep her over there. <laughs> yeah. I, it's like, I know people like that. It's like, mm, yeah, I know exactly who Muriel is. Oh, that's so funny. Um, see I don't have anything yeah because I know that the next one you know it's Addie moving uh back to return the book to the lost word um and then we go into so sorry this is the Sam chapter as well I didn't write it down because in that moment, I think I was just enjoying the story so much. Yeah. I like you know? Sam. I think Sam is one of her loves. I, I pegged her as a love. I did too. If, if I had to name a love, she would definitely be one of them. Yeah. And then Toby, which was the first guy. You put Toby? I wasn't sure if Toby was one of them. I put it. I couldn't because tell. Because he was the newest one, and the one before that was James. James St. Clair. I don't know. I don't know. It, well, it's heart. It's it's heartbreak, right? Was it lovers or heart lovers? I don't know. But okay. Well, I'll just keep a list and then I'll just cross them off as I see fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all I had. It wasn't that, really I, a lover. It was more of a friendship. Mm-hmm. And this is only the first book, so maybe in the second book more loves come apart. I don't know. Anyway, let's just keep going. What? This is the first book. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, there's, this is only book one. She writes, usually she does duologies. I don't know for sure if this is a duology or trilogy, but V. Schwab usually does duologies. She never does one book, ever. (laughs) Ever. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Thank God I have all these notes. I will be able to look over all of them. Yes. Just listen to this podcast. You will have it. Oh, my goodness. Down. It's going to be a very long podcast, guys. So sorry. Okay. And then moving on to chapter seven. We're back to Paris, France. The darkness finds her at the dress shop. She fights him with trying to prove that she isn't miserable. That was the first time that I actually felt like she stood up for herself. 
because she sort of lies, right? I mean, she lies saying that she's totally fine and it's not a big deal and that she doesn't want... She doesn't want him to be this overarching fear in her life. Mm-hmm. Like, she actually wants to live it, you know? And he's like, you know, you think it'll get easier. It's not. You're as good as gone. And every year you will live will feel like a lifetime. And every lifetime you will be forgotten. Your pain is meaningless. Your life is mean. I mean, he's just berating her over and over again. And it's- she, you know, points out the fact that, like, she saw an elephant, right? Which is like... All right, girl, you saw an elephant. But then it's like for the first time, I feel like she recognizes the gift that she's been given, Mm -hmm. which was really good. You know, because she puts it all in. It's only been two years. Think of all the time I'll have and all the things I'll see in this life. Yep. So chapter eight in part two, we're back in present day. This is the big moment, you guys. The big moment we have all been waiting for. Yes. And we knew it's going to happen, but even when it happens, this is like, oh my God, yay. I literally had breathed a humongous sigh. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> someone, there is someone who is able to remember her. And it's Henry. Because she walks in, does her whole ditty that she <laughs> does done for 300 years. And still is just, like, in shock because he says the words that he has, like, have they not been uttered to her in 300 years. Yeah. I remember you. And she just breaks at those three words. I'm, And you're just feeling her pain and, like, the recognition that, like, holy crap, my life has just changed for, for a moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not reliving the same life. And you're like, I don't want to think, but why? Because I'm so happy for yeah. you. <laughs> that was golden. That was great. And I'm glad that it did not happen later in this book. Schwab has done a very good job with his linear plot and speeding things along, but still feeling like you have read the story, that you have done the story. Yeah. So kudos to her because it's great, you know. Because then in the next chapter, we're into their, this is her first coffee date with someone ever, mm-hmm. you know, and she gets to actually have a conversation with someone. And then what, you know, what happens after that? She does, does it, does it happen in this one? What? No. Anyway, no. She just has a moment where she's able to feel like she can go deeper with someone for the first time versus just surfacey stuff Mm -hmm. i thought i think it's real funny because the next year it's now a few years after her change if you will so it's what five years and she has finally discovered chocolate Mm -hmm. not that that was funny but this is a key moment here because this is around page what 145 144-145 We learn the name of the darkness, right? He asks her to have dinner with him, which is, like, weird. Because you're like, why you want to die with me now? You just come in to haunt me, if you can put it that way. And now you're asking to have dinner with me? Why? Maybe you you thought it was their last meal. Or her last meal. I don't know. I thought it was interesting because she is... For the first time, scared and unsettled by his control. Yeah. So I think in this moment here, you know, Addie is finally realizing, like, oh, this isn't child's play. This isn't a game. Like, he legit has power over people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really funny because on page 146, I cannot tell you how many times I have read this line or have been fed this line. And it's almost like I think Schwab is like jabbing at the fantasy community with Faze because he says, no, (laughs) I have no Faye thing here to trap you with food and drink. That's her dig at Sarah J. Mass. I was (laughs) like, oh, that hurt a little bit. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) 
down. I was like, wow. <laughs> um, you know, and we know, and then we learn that his name is Luke because she decides his name for him, which is also interesting. Because he does it on purpose. It's a manipulation thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's manipulating her because it's, she's given him a look. She has also given him a name. You give him these things, you also give him power. He takes just a little bit away every time. Yeah. Oh, and then, you know, because this is where we finally learn that there is, like, a, a war going on between the two of them. That, uh, that there are battle lines being drawn. Mistakes are being made. Because... Addie pipes up um, after he said, like, it's been, you're a stubborn thing, but even rocks wear away into nothing. And her reply is, you think yourself a cat playing with his catch, but I am not a mouse and I will not be a meal to him. You know, and then it's like, okay, girl, you just threw him bait because now he's like, let's, let's go. It's now a game. To him, everything is a game. But I think she frustrates him because he probably hasn't had to work so hard before with his souls. And he's met his match with her. So then the next the next one, you know, I don't really have anything, you know, and then it's, it's a chapter after that. It's chapter um, 12 when she's finally able to say her name for the first time. Yeah. And to hear that, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because she writes, you know, somehow, impossibly, Henry has found a way in. Somehow he remembers her. You know, and then there's the how, 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 you know, like all the doubts going on. And then she decides in that moment that she does not care. And I was like, oh, okay, so you're finally able to live for just one second. Just Mm -hmm. a second. You know, because in that moment, it's enough. Yeah. Because then the next chapter after that, we see that she has now set the table. You know, it's now a year later, the anniversary of her rebirth. And she's waiting for him and he doesn't come to see her, Luke. And I'm like, why? You know, but then at the same time, it's like, okay. She learns that she has be she has like started to look forward to their meetings, yeah. even though she doesn't want to look forward to them. It's and I'm like, oh, it's, ter- it's devastating because he's the <sighs> only one who knows her. He's it. And she look. I mean, her getting the house ready, and she's got her hair done, and she's got her dress that she can stand. And he doesn't show up, and it is just devastating. I think the first time I read this book, I cried at this chapter. Because it was horrible. It is. It's horrible. Because then you want to know why. You want to know why he hasn't shown up. And then it's like... Because he's trying to break her. It's on purpose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she fell for it. And that last line, you know, it's like... Oh, my gosh. She just keeps telling herself enough. Like, are you going to stop? Like, when are you actually going to start, like, living? So in that moment, it's like, oh, that's her key turning point. Mm-hmm. One of her key turning well, I'm points. Like, I feel like we've said it several times. This is the moment. No, this is the moment. She has but had a lot of moments of growth. <laughs> you know, and then, of course, the last chapter is um, Henry saying her name. Yes. All right. But it's nothing more and nothing else. Have you seen that part? What part? Addie, who looked at him and saw a boy with dark hair, kind eyes, and an open face. Nothing more and nothing less. Else. else. Which means he's hiding something. Oh, okay. Or maybe... Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't catch that. That's it could be taken as a bad thing or a good thing. Yeah. It's like, you, we, we, we don't know. He's hiding something. Well, he Robert. has said that his life, he, there's not much going on there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mention it before, but in his chapter, his first chapter, where he's with his friend Beatrix, 
and he says that I don't talk about Tabitha and she doesn't talk about the professor. So he has had a bad breakup. I don't... Yeah, that's a, that's a good line. I don't know why she doesn't see something else there. I don't know. Because she did, though. Because she, like... She went... I mean, I feel like she went off on uh, explaining what she saw in him when they were sitting at the bar. But I don't know if it was, like, true, the things that were coming out of her mouth. Because she has been able to... Um, read people for so many years. I mean, she has to, to be able to learn how to lie to people. Mm -hmm. Uh, She looks for facial cues. It's what people do. (sighs) I'm trying to find the page that she says it. Uh... But that's an interesting way to say nothing more and nothing else. What's the difference between more and else? There's nothing... She doesn't see any more out of him, but she doesn't see other things either? interesting so well what do you guys think that means because we haven't figured it out (laughs) so themes that i have so far yeah here are my themes depression Mm -hmm. uh false dreams immortality but for how long the desire to escape that's a theme god versus evil a good versus evil goodness i'm okay good versus evil not god versus evil um, and the key one that I found is identity. You know, who is who is Addie LaRue? I would agree with those. I don't know. You know, like, yeah. that was, like, the... And, and depression, obviously, because... Do you have any other themes that you think? I did not come up with any for the first time. Dawn doesn't... Dawn didn't come up with themes. I don't know what I was thinking. My bad. Oh, poop. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> so here are my theories. Okay. My theories are Henry is connected to the darkness somehow. Okay. I don't know how he's somehow connected. Why do you think that? Uh, Because of his scar and because of the moment in Midnight Summer's dream where he like has a weird out of body experience where he's not really there, but he is there. I feel like Addie is going to try to use Henry Maybe to be her voice somehow. I don't really know if it's even going to last. If this is just a brief moment that he's remembering her. Um, And then another theory that I have is that she won't have to sell her soul. Or she will finally feel like she has had the chance to live a little bit of freedom. And be okay with it. Okay. I'm, I can't say anything because I've already read it. <laughs> I already know which one of your theories or if any of them or none of them or all of them are true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. Shame on you, Don. <laughs> Shame on you. So, yeah, I can't give any predictions or theories, guys. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to hear from Ashley's POV here. Too much. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining our read along this is our second one so this is the first Um, half of the book yup and then our second section if you will um, is from page 162 to page 295 I wrote it down to page 295 it's basically part 3 and part 4 yes um, is how this is broken up so we will be podcasting next week to be able to give you guys our reactions (laughs) to the next section of the book because this is where it gets the nitty gritty stuff I feel like all right well thank you for joining us and we'll catch you in the next podcast bye bye